welcome back to another episode of Arte Labore, a Blackburn Rovers podcast from the Lancashire Telegraph. It's been a quiet couple of weeks. Anything happened, <laughs> Ryan? Anything noteworthy you want to talk about on today's pod? I'll leave you alone for two weeks and all hell breaks loose. What is going on, Elliot? What is going on? That, um, you sound like my mentions for the last three weeks. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you just can't write some of it. Um, so plenty to get stuck into. You're absolutely right. It's not been a quiet fortnight. But um, hey, we love being a Rovers fan, don't we? It's never boring. It's definitely not boring. I'm glad today we are... a audio-only podcast and we don't do video because I am absolutely knackered having got in from Birmingham at 1am straight up for the pod. Um, God, where do we start then? So, um, Blackburn Rovers have changed head coach, if you you hadn't realised since the last time we spoke. They um, failed to register a player again. They sold Adam Wharton. That didn't happen since we last spoke. Uh, Duncan Maguire, John Eustace, John Dodd Thomason. Where do we all begin? Right, let's start. Let's start with the football and with the things that make our brain hurt slightly less. Uh, Yondal Thomason is no longer the head coach of Blackburn Rovers. Ryan, he uh, left by mutual consent, um, albeit definitely initiated by himself, basically offering his resignation after the two-one defeat to Queens Park Rangers. Things hadn't been right behind the scenes since the summer. He, he was obviously blocked from speaking to the media the Friday before he left um, and was pretty explosive post-match after QPR about Duncan Maguire because it had just emerged that that deal was on the on the cusp of falling through on the January window in general, on his future, revealed that he'd offered to resign in the summer. And basically, ever since the summer, it's felt like they've been on a collision course um, to have come to this point where it became untenable behind the scenes, and, and that certainly was the case. Held talks with Steve Waggett, um, and it just took ages. You know, the, It was such a weird week because you get this adrenaline rush where you know, like, find out Jon's going. It's definitely happening. Club are saying he's not gone yet, but things could move in the next 72 hours. You speak to your contacts. He's definitely going. Put that out there. Oh, brilliant. Find out who the next manager's more than likely going to be, John Eustace. So all the information's out there. John's going. Eustace is coming in. And then just waiting for 36 hours, constantly refreshing, thinking, oh, it's on the hour. This might be the, the moment where someone pushes a button. It just took forever. Um, and there's obviously, behind, knowing sort of what goes on behind the scenes and having a bit of a timeline, it just took ages. And I don't really have a clear explanation as to why that was. Just legalities and... I think things like, obviously, when it's a resignation and, and Rovers accepting the resignation, I think there's terms to be agreed, you know, things like NDAs, all, all these sort of things, which are all common practice, I suppose, when um, a manager leaves in this sort of manner. But it just took forever. But when the button was finally pressed and, you know, the official confirmation came through that Yondal Thompson had left and that he put that, statement out on Instagram thanking the fans and the supporters I did it did hit me it was sad I, I did feel a tinge of sadness I really really enjoyed working with Jon from a personal point of view he was very personable we'd always have good chats for you know a few minutes um before we start the press conference and afterwards where he'd ask about family you know he, he was engaging he genuinely cared and he was great to speak to I really enjoyed working with him and I think he played some fantastic football at Blackburn Rovers. And I know people will say that they were sleepwalking into a relegation fight. And, and and that is true. And one win in 11, which it was before he left, was pretty indefensible. The defensive record speaks for itself this season. But I can't help but think that they probably would have rode the storm. And if things hadn't been so tense behind the, back, uh, behind the scenes, maybe he could have stayed and maybe he could have had a second go, you know, maybe use some of the Adam money in the summer and had a, a real crack at getting Blackburn back towards the playoff places. But I think for both parties, it was time to move on because I think too much water had gone under the bridge, particularly with this latest Duncan Maguire problem. But it did fill me with sadness because, you know, they'd had some great moments under Jan, you know, the comeback at Millwall, everyone will talk about Leicester, probably Leicester, the highlight for me. Even the sense of occasion at Sheffield United, albeit they didn't get the result they wanted, but the atmosphere with five and a half thousand Rovers fans behind the goal at Bramall Lane when they went 2-1 up through Sam Smoddix, um, finishing 
seventh, despite not having a, a proper striker for the second half of last season. And ultimately, I feel like Jon was definitely a positive thing for Blackburn Rovers. And I, I, I definitely still believe, albeit I think it was the right time for both parties to walk away. I don't think Yondal Thompson was the biggest problem with Blackburn Rovers. Um, do I think they will are more likely to stay up under John Eustace? Yeah, probably. I do. I probably think if between now and the end of the season, they probably will, will pick up more points with Eustace in charge than Yon. Or certainly they'll, they'll keep more clean sheets and, and concede less goals. It just would have been interesting if, you, if maybe they could have just rode out the storm, get some key players back, get to the summer, maybe assess there and maybe could have had another crack. But I think it was time to part ways. And it was just sad because I do think Yondal Thompson was a breath of fresh air for Blackburn Rovers. He was, and, and sad is the right word. And I think that's the first thing I want to say, that you know I'm sad ultimately how all of that played out and, and how it panned out. And I think at the time... Um, we didn't know the details that we now know, which, you know, this was going right back to the summer. But the way this was playing out in front of our eyes, particularly in that last week of his tenure, was was really sad. Um, I thought it was a sad reflection on the club as well. The way that all these in-the-know accounts and, and other people seemingly knew what was going on with JDT, but the fans, the club, yourself and others, you know, didn't know. So it was all just really bizarre. But... You're right, JDT was a breath of fresh air when he first came in. And we've spoken before on pods that for a club like Rovers, with the revenue streams that we've got and the position that we find ourselves in, we have to be greater than the sum of our parts because we cannot compete. You know, we cannot compete financially with the teams at the top and we can't compete at the moment with the teams in the middle of the table. So we've got to do something that's outside of the box and we've got to do something that's a little bit different. And I thought with JDT... And with Greg Broughton and the recruitment department, we'd landed on something that was ultimately going to allow us to be greater than the sum of our parts. So whatever's happened in the summer, whatever has set off this collision course that ended up with now, um, there's probably details that we'll never know as fans. And obviously JDT, the strength of feeling that he had in the summer was he was offering his resignation at that point and, and the project changed. But there is no doubting that the football that we played under him, some of the moments that I've had, some of the performances uh, performances that I've seen, some of the most enjoyable at championship level in particular over this last 10 to 12 years that we've obviously been in this division. So it's really sad that the journeys had to come to an end. But I think now we know what we know, you know, such as the strength of JDT's feelings, such as the strength of some of the stuff that's going off on the pitch. The bit that was a concern was the fact it bled on the pitch. I think JDT, and to be fair, also Tony Mowbray, I think have both done a really good job of protecting the fans from the state of the ownership, just how poor some of the day-to-day management in the club is and some of the nonsensical things that go on inside Ewood Park at this moment in time. I think Mowbray and JDT largely protected the fans from all of that. It was probably time for JDT to go when JDT couldn't do that anymore and he was no longer a shield and it was bleeding onto the pitch. You could see it with the demeanour of some of the players. You could see it with the demeanour of some of the performances. You could see it when JDT didn't have an answer on how to stop this rot that we were in. You know, we've been critical, Elliot, haven't we, that he didn't have a plan B. He didn't have a different way of playing. So it's all well and good throwing your toys out the pram and saying the project has changed. It's all well and good saying I haven't got Duncan Maguire but you've still got to use those players in the best way possible to get the results on the football pitch. So it was sad how it ended up in that regard that JDT had seemingly reached that standoff with the ownership and and with the club to say, right, well, that's it then. So really sad how it played out. That last game against QPR was a horrible atmosphere, uh, if I'm being honest. Um, You know, there was the chance against Wagger and and Venkies and... And obviously, we we got wind of the Duncan Maguire thing before kickoff as well. And, and we were obviously wondering about that Friday pes, uh, press conference. So it took me back in time, actually, that QPR game. It took me back to when the Venkies first took over. It took me back to that relegation season in the Premier League. It took me back to maybe that first season in the Championship where things felt a bit chaotic. And it wasn't a nice feeling at that QPR game. And I just wasn't surprised that after that point, JDT walked. So... Yeah, it was his time to go um, with everything that we've just reflected on there, on the pitch and off the pitch. But, you know, ultimately grateful for some of the memories that he brought and some of the football that we saw because it was magnificent. Yeah, definitely. I, I echo that sentiment. I think when you've got to gag your 
head coach in the way that obviously Rovers did. You know, I've spoken to a lot of people and, and they just saw him as a bit of a loose cannon um, and, and just didn't know what he was going to say. Um, and, you know, I suppose it's fair. Like you come in on Friday morning and you find out the Maguire things happened and it's Lewis O'Brien 2.0, albeit slightly different circumstances. You would hit the roof, wouldn't you? You, you would you would lose it. Um, so I can understand why he was so frustrated and so annoyed by that and ultimately that that was the reason that he didn't speak to the media didn't come out until sort of Saturday lunchtime what had transpired and then obviously the 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 finer details have have taken longer to be established but we've got a clear enough picture of what happened with that Rovers obviously moved very quickly to a point um John Eustace um story broken by the Lancashire Telegraph the interest and it was pretty clear that from the back end of the the week before when he didn't speak to the press, when the transfer window had shut, when they lost to QPR, Rovers were moving with contingency plans. There was a sense that Jon, you know, I was told by a source on, on Wednesday morning to to be ready for a 72 hours um, of change. So it was quite clear this was brewing um, from early parts in the week. And it wasn't until Wednesday afternoon that it really started to escalate. John Eustace was clearly lined up. Um, I'm led to believe this was a Steve Waggett choice, um, very much so, rather than a Greg Broughton one. I'm not saying Greg Broughton didn't have any input in the decision, but this was a Steve Waggett pick in, from my from my information, certainly. Um, and I think it's as good an appointment as Blackburn Rovers could have made in the circumstances. I think that he will improve them defensively. I think he will adopt a more back-to-basics approach initially to get them to build confidence to try and get them up the table to try and stop the the bleed in terms of conceding goals and I think he'll keep them in the championship I think Yondal Thompson would have kept them in the championship if I'm being honest as well but I think Eustace will do it in a more pragmatic style a more mixed style um you know from his unveiling on Monday one of the things that he he echoed which sort of was standout lines you know he said he he wants to adopt and he, he works in a no excuse culture which I think the players and some of the fans will certainly see as a breath of fresh air because whether Yondal Thomason's complaints were valid or not, which they absolutely were most of the time, um, they, they, they ultimately were excuses. Like They can be valid excuses, but they were excuses nonetheless. So we're definitely not going to see the sort of media approach that we had under Yon. Uh, by the way, the last week, remembering to pronounce my J's again has been an absolute... I've been sat in the mirror pr- trying to practice to go from Yon to John. And remembering to put a H in again um, has, been, <laughs> has been quite the transition. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, so John Eustace, I think he, I think he will improve him defensively. The challenge for me long term is for him to prove that he can provide a sparkle for this team that can keep them punching above their weight. Because my, I think I think Eustace is a really good appointment. I do, and he deserves time. And this is not a reflection on the first two games we've seen, but. You wonder if they're going to lack because they're going to be less expansive, because they're going to be less attacking. Are they going to be too fine margin in terms of not staying up? Because I think they'll do that comfortably and I think they'll do that long term. They will improve and improve and improve. But are they going to be able to overachieve to the point where they can get to where they got at their absolute best under Jon? That, that's the bit to, to prove. But he did a brilliant job at Birmingham City. It was very controversially and harshly sacked um, in October, 128 days ago. And he had them sixth in the table. So I think it's an encouraging appointment for Blackburn. He signed a two and a half year deal. It's a head coach again, which I think is interesting, which we can discuss. And from my point of view, I think it's as good as they could have got in the circumstances. And if we are going to give the club credit in any way, at least they didn't drag out a six week appointment or you know drag their their heels. They did at least have someone lined up, ready to go. And 35 minutes after announcing Yondal Thompson's exit, um, John Yusuf was installed as the new head coach. When you reflect on all the parameters that we've just said and, and when you let off a grenade in your own face in the way that Rovers did, I actually think we've landed on our feet with John Eustace um, because we have set ourselves on a path for a little bit of chaos, not just this season, but beyond. Um, we've got all the uncertainties around Venkies and the court case in March. There is still uncertainty about Greg Broughton and the recruitment department. Those rumours still go on. And we seemingly have obviously just um, 
changed philosophy entirely with the appointment of the, the manager. So there's loads of things on and off the pitch which are just not in correlation at the moment. So with all of those things in play, as I say, I think John Eustace is a pretty smart appointment and we've landed on our feet a little bit because he is used to operating in chaos. He's, he's done that at Birmingham City. I really like the back-to-basics approach. I really like the no-nonsense and no-excuses approach as well because it's exactly what Rovers need at this moment in time to stop a situation snowballing and spiralling out of control, which ultimately leads to relegation to League One, which, for the record, if we get relegated to League One this time, we will stay there for a long time. It won't be bounced back like we did last time. We will stay there for a long time. So relegation to League One would be absolutely catastrophic for this football club. So I think Eustace represents a smart appointment where we can hopefully just get a grip on the situation, stop relegation, and then reassess the situation in the summer. So are we going to give Eustace the backing, or is this still just flatlining and spending as little as possible until we get some clarity on the Venkis' ownership? So John Eustace deserves our support because he has walked into a fairly chaotic situation. The players deserve our support because they are also experiencing a fairly chaotic situation. Um, And I don't know if we were planning on talking about this, but things like the meeting that was held with the fans group and things like that, for five players to be dragged into a meeting and eyeballing fans who are passionate and who care and who are showing you you know, the strength of feeling that there is in the fan base at the moment, that's a lot for the players to deal with as well. So Eustace and the players at this moment in time deserve all of our support to get us over the line to the end of the season um, we know where the attention should lie. The attention is firmly in the eyes of Venkis and Steve Waggett. They ultimately need to sort this situation out off the pitch. So I'm fairly, firmly behind Eustace. Um, I'm not expecting the expansive pretty football that we saw under JDT, but I am expecting results. I am expecting more clean sheets. And ultimately, I don't care if we come 21st, one point above the relegation zone. I just want us to stay in this division because, as I say, we've let that grenade off in our face. Yeah, I definitely think we'll have. I think Eustace is quite like very early on. Obviously, I've only met him twice on Monday for the unveiling, which was slightly rushed as well because they had to get off to to the game uh, in Birmingham, and then obviously post match last night, he's going to be. I think he's going to be very hands on in terms of with the players and and the coaching, and you can see already on the touchline the way he cajoles his players. He's constantly barking out instructions. I think he's a good man motivator. I think the players will really like him. I think he'll put his arm around people when they need it and build, try and build their confidence. Um, and I think short-term, he'll certainly have a, an impact on this Blackburn Rovers team. In terms of the two matches themselves that we've we've just recently seen, the 3-1 win over Stoke City and the 1-0 defeat to Birmingham City that happened last night, we've seen a change in, in tack in terms of the style of play. Um, instead of the possession heavy playing out from the back style of Yondal Thomason, They've been far more direct. Against Stoke, it was incredibly effective. Um, they, they played back to front quicker, but still with enough quality to cause problems. They, there was a lot of similarities, actually, in terms of off the ball to what they did at Stoke in the end of November, which is actually the last time they kept a clean sheet in the championship, um, the 3-0 win, where they let Stoke have all of the ball, sat back and counter-attacked. Um, albeit still playing out from the back, still trying to hold possession a little bit and playing short. Against uh, Stoke at the weekend, it was very similar in terms of um, letting Stoke have the ball and just backing themselves basically not to get broken down. And they were so effective on the counter-attack. They played 3-4-3, which meant Callum Britton and Ryan Hedges played as wing-backs higher up the pitch. Brilliant deliveries from Callum Britton. Very interesting speaking to him after the match as well, where he spoke about the change of style being more effective, playing to their strengths, playing to Sam Gallagher's strengths particularly, um, his pleasure at you know being instructed to cross a bit more again and playing with a bit more freedom in the final third. Because I do think as good as the the play was under Jan, sometimes they looked a little bit overcoached perhaps in the final third, you could say that. So I think they enjoyed having that bit of freedom Um to do that themselves. Two lovely balls in from Britain that, that brought the goals for Dolan and then Hedges nodding back across for Smodix. I thought Gallagher worked his absolute balls off, to be honest, leading that front line, um, a proper workhorse. And, and the 3-4-3 worked with Smodix and Dolan playing in the pockets. The problem against Birmingham was that Rovers did not show anywhere near enough quality on the ball. And the, re- and the problem with that means, particularly when you're playing this formation, in my opinion, 
the two number 10s can quite easily get pinned back as wingers and then it becomes 5-4-1 and you can't get out. And the problem, if you don't keep the ball and you don't sustain attacks, which Rovers just did not do, they barely had any attacks, but even when they did, there was no waves, there was no like successions of attack and, and, and play. Um, then Smodix and Dolan ended up playing left midfield and right midfield uh, because they had to track the fullbacks because if Birmingham have got the ball, they've got to mark someone. So he just left 5-4-1, left Gallagher up front on his own and they couldn't get out. And Birmingham, although they scored in the 77th minute, they had plenty of chances. You know, both Tyler Roberts and Mark Roberts were guilty of missing big chances. Uh, they hit the post. Roberts missed a one-on-one, which he should have buried and then had a, a chance the second half when Ainsley Pears gave the ball away with the ball of his, his feet. Um, and yeah, I just thought Rovers... I think we saw the the pros and the cons of that formation, personally. It wouldn't be my go-to, I don't think. I think it suits people like McFadzine. I think he's been fantastic. I thought he was Rovers' best player on Tuesday night at Birmingham. But I just fear that, again, if you're not going to look after the ball better than Rovers did, and, and in fairness, that is not the plan. You know, Eustace spoke after the game and said, we've got to be miles better on the ball. But I thought they really missed a ball player last night in midfield. I think they really missed Adam Wharton, um, which is obviously understandable when he's a £20 million talent. But they lacked someone putting their foot on the ball and just controlling the tempo a little bit. It was a bit back to front too quickly. And if you don't look after the ball and don't sustain attacks, opposition will pin you back. And then in that system, you can't get out because you're 5-4-1, basically. Um, so, yeah, I thought Rovers were really poor last night. Didn't really create any chance of note until the 90th minute, which Samit should score at the back post. And Birmingham were really good value in fairness. They deserved to win the game. They did. And you've gone from the positives into the negatives. So I think we should come back on to, to Stoke shortly. And yeah, let's start with Birmingham first. Um, it was not a great performance. Um, after the joy and the euphoria of, of Saturday and and obviously getting a win back on the board after that week of chaos, um, it was one of those Rovers performances that I've seen just so many times over the years where we go away from home, we have barely a shot on target, we're not really a presence in the game and really just waste the away fans' time in that away end. It was not a great performance from Rovers. It was really disappointing that we didn't register any kind of you know, glove, so to speak, on, on Birmingham, um, especially when we went 1-0 down as well. There was really zero response and and zero kind of um, reaction. To, the way to I wrote on. about it in my match report and online, you can't turn it on and off like a tap. And I think mm. speaking to, you know, listening post match, I think, I think the players probably took the instructions a bit literally, you know, because they've been so one extreme with Jon and John's coming and gone. We want to play, you know, we want to be a bit more mixed. We want to be, you know, play a bit more direct at times. Players have kind of took that instruction and gone completely the opposite to the opposite extreme when actually, kind of want to be somewhere in the middle um, and they mm. just didn't look after the ball anywhere near well enough and therefore couldn't win attacks etc No we couldn't and do you know what I was sat there up until the Birmingham goal and thinking you know is Eustace going to land on his ass here that you know it's going to be a fairly nondescript performance and Rovers get that one chance and bundle it in and, and win the game 1-0 sometimes you do ride lady luck in games and sometimes you can rob a result so to speak but I think the real surprise was that Birmingham hadn't taken the lead because, as you have mentioned, they had those very good chances, that one in the first half, that one in the second half. I think one of the key differences, Elliot, and we have spoken about this on on the pod repeatedly, bringing the likes of Bakuna and Dembele off the bench, who came on and made an impact. Bakuna in particular was really bright. I mean, was it Callum Britton down the right or was Absolutely it a really Britton? He ab- <laughs> I mean, it was an absolute piece of nonsense skill, wasn't it, from Bakuna? And, and that's ultimately led to the chance, albeit we've probably had a little half chance to get it away. But when are we sat here on this pod saying, oh, Dylan Markande's done something like that or Talalovic has done something like that or Sigurdsson, you know, we're never sat here, Elliot, saying that a game's been nil-nil or one-one, and then our sub has come on and done something like that. So and yet, we could that... have so easily been having this discussion had Samir Talalovic headed the ball into the back of the net. It would have been a smashing grab. It wouldn't have changed the performance, but we could have very easily been talking about a, a draw where you go, right? That was a bit crap, but we'll take it and leave. I mean, I feel really sorry for him because I've seen a lot of negativity towards him on Twitter as a result of that. You know, people, he's got to score. You know, let's let's make no mistake. He has got to score. It's a very simple chance. And at that clutch time of a game, you've got to put the chance away and get the equaliser for Rovers after the week or so that we've had. 
but play, people are writing him off already, and I don't think we've truly seen the the true Talalovic yet. He's got to build up. He's got to get used to the division. If this time next season we're still having the same conversations, then fine, let's write him off. Let's say, yeah, maybe the recruitment department got this wrong. But I think it's really unfair to write him off at this point because I don't think he's had too many sniffs and too many clear-cut opportunities, but this was the one. Make no mistake, he's got to score, he's got to equalise and he's got to play his part in in Rovers robbing a point at St Andrews. But going back to the Birmingham goal, it was a really poor goal to concede because, as I say, I felt like we had that little half sniff to get it away and, and Dizelle's just kind of stuck his foot out, hasn't he, and, and put it in. It's it's not a clean finish, so to speak. So it was a shame the way it went in, but there was certainly an air of inevitability the the way that it did and, and one to put in the, the long book of Rovers away defeat um, that we've had like this and was it one of your stats I saw about the number of one nils that we've had it might have been 4,000 holes actually the amount of one nil defeats we've had away from home on a Tuesday night is actually quite remarkable I think there's been like 10 or so I in the last credit for that no that was not me I think it was 4,000 holes I think it was Scott but yeah like one nil away from home on a Tuesday night seems to be a bit of a blueprint to beat Rovers and that's not just under Eustace that's under JDT and Mowbray as well so we've got to do better away from home on a Tuesday that's for sure it was actually the first time Rovers have lost six successive away championship games since 2013 so I'll give you that stat that that was mine um yeah, uh, you know, it was interesting talking to John after the game and he sort of said, you know, this this team has been struggling away from home for a while. They've been shipping goals left, right and centre. So they, they had to stop the bleed. They had to make it f- difficult for Birmingham. And I do think they did at times, although we've, we've reflected on Birmingham having a lot of clear-cut opportunities to get themselves into the lead. But they, they just didn't get that balance right between defence and attack and looking after the ball um, at all, in my opinion. So that, that was the main issue um stoke obviously was far better um they, they took the goals really well i thought dolan I, th- I thought dolan was actually rover's best attacker at birmingham as well i was a bit surprised when he got taken off because i thought he'd look the brightest um and the most likely to create something for rovers and he certainly was the star man for me against stoke as well getting the two goals but not even the goals just the work rate what he offers off the ball and um really good stat from rich sharp of course um formerly of this parish um Rovers had taken, what was it, 28 of their 36 points in the 16 games Tyrese Dolan had started prior to Tuesday night, um, which shows his importance. And we've spoke many times about the numbers and what they suggest when Sam Gallagher's in the Blackburn Rovers team as well. He's not going to score you 15, 20 goals every single season. He's not going to play every minute of every game. He's going to get injuries. But Blackburn Rovers are a far better team when he's in it. And, and the stats are suggesting very similar for Tyrese Dolan as well. Yeah, and I'd throw Ryan Hedges into the mix as well. I just think ultimately we look a better attacking outfit when we've got Gallagher, Hedges and Dolan all there. And, and I hadn't appreciated that stat about Ty Dolan. So that's that's brilliant credit to him because as much as we could probably say maybe a few more goals, maybe a bit more creativity and a few more assists, actually, there's no doubting those stats. And, and we do see his work rate and we do see his energy when he's in that front line. And I always say that they're the things that it's really easy for fans to miss. Just that... That little bit of extra pressure, that little bit of a press on a backline might just allow a play very early on to develop differently and then Rovers might win the ball, the ball back and do something different. So it was great to see Dolan back in in that form and, and great to see Ryan Hedges back as well. That was a real surprise and, and a real nice surprise. And just going back to what you said about, about the game, um, before the game, this was huge, Elliot after the week or so that we'd had and there was a period in that game as well when QPR were beating Norwich had we been losing that game to Stoke we would have been one point off the relegation zone I looked at half time Huddersfield were 18th at half time Mm. in that game and Stoke were one above the buffer it was bonkers like all the results were going like against Rovers apart from their own where they were obviously free one That's it. There is a parallel universe where Rovers are one point above the relegation zone after Saturday night's results. So this was a hugely important one after the week we've had. But what I will say, full credit and plaudits go to those players. We've just said how chaotic that week was and meeting with the fan group and and everything that went on with Yondal Thomason and Eustace coming in. For the players to go out and respond in that way, with David Lowe and Damian Johnson on the sidelines, Eustace... Um, obviously in the stands. For them to go out and do that, I think they deserve absolute credit because that was not easy to go and do that. There was pressure on that game and to to hit them from the off like they did. And 
I, I just thought it was fantastic. And I think you can see it in the first goal, actually, the big difference between Eustace and JDT, because had that play developed under a, a JDT side, I don't think Callum Britton's putting that cross in. I think we're seeing two or three players overloading that wide area. Callum maybe. Britton agrees with you as well. Yeah, pass that ball around a bit and then we maybe do something different and maybe Smodic puts the ball in after a little one-two in the box or something. So for it to be just so simple that the ball goes out to Britain, you don't see anyone go towards Britain, you see players go into the box and then to get the quality service that we did and, and Dolan on the end of it, it was great to see. And then um, second one was kind of a little bit of, you know, it was nice little bit of intricate play, wasn't it, on the edge of the box out to Britain again and what brilliant determination from Hedges. You know, he's not known for his heading. He's not known for winning headers in the box like that. But that was fantastic to win it like that. And Fox in the box, Smodic again. And how many league goals is that? 17? I think 17, we just need to do 22, a little chat. 22 in all comps. Yeah. And then <laughs> the third goal. I mean, we talk about the styles of play. I, under I would argue they wouldn't score that goal under Young. Yeah, I think we, uh, we'll we all agree on that. But um, that's one you see on a Sunday, isn't it? When you're watching Parks football or whatever, just a good old-fashioned up to the keeper knocks it, big man gets the flick on and brilliant from Dolan. What a good finish from him. He, he's got to stay composed in that situation. And The worry is yeah. when you've got that much time that you, you fluff it because you've, you've got too much time mm. to think about it. He has got a lot of time to think, so I think he did really well. And do you know what? To be 3-0 up after half an hour was it was just beyond my wildest dreams. After how low I felt after the QPR game, after how low I felt when JDT went and all the chaos and, and the situation, to be 3-0 up at that point was just magnificent. And some weird kind of links and, and echoes to an important result we had against Stoke in the Premier League. You know, after sacking Paul Ince and being 19th in the Premier League, Big Sam comes in and we beat Stoke 3-0 in the first half uh, on that day as well. So there's some little echoes uh, to that. So great to get the result. And we probably need to mention a couple of things, don't we? Niall Ennis, Ainsley Pears. <laughs> yeah, Niall Ennis was written in the stars. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, just, that was just bound to happen, wasn't it? Um, he scored more championship goals for Stoke at Ewood Park than Blackburn Rovers, which is nice. <laughs> you can have that stat. Yeah, which is nice. It only took him, what, two weeks to score more goals for Blackburn uh, for Stoke in the championship than Blackburn and at Ewood Park. Um, Ainsley Pears, brilliant penalty save, you have to say. Um, he hasn't put a foot wrong, really, since he came back in. There was a bit of a mistake last night where he, he passed the ball straight to Tyler Rodgers, which is probably the first blotch on the copybook since he came back. But let's say prior to, to Birmingham, and there was only that one error at Birmingham, albeit it could, could have been costly. He hasn't put a foot wrong. It's a really big save at a big moment in the game. If Stoke had got it back to 3-2, then then things could have really got tense. And, and if Rose had blown a three-goal lead, I think I would have resigned from my role as... Uh, Blackburn Rovers report, and never mind JDT. It's a hugely, hugely important uh, penalty save because the Ennis goal, as much as we've just joked around, Rovers can never just win a game 3-0 or be 3-0 up at half-time. We have to introduce a bit of anarchy and a bit of chaos for the heart rate, don't we? So for them to get that penalty so early in that second half, I'm in total agreement with you. I think if that game goes 3-2, I think it actually ends up 3-3 as a minimum or potentially even worse, just with with the state of the fan base, with the state of the morale and, and everything that had gone on. I think it would have been really easy for Stoke shooting towards their fans to, to claw a result back. So I think it's a really underrated save as well because Daniel Johnson is a great penalty taker. You know, he waits he's got and waits and waits, doesn't he? Waits and waits, and he's got a good record at this level. The Preston link as well. You know, all roads were kind of pointing to him putting that penalty away. So, fair play to Ainsley Pears and, and the goalkeeping department. That I think I saw a little thing. Um, they've done their research mm. on where Daniel Johnson likes to hit penalties. I think it's really brave from Pears. To, he's already moving that side as Johnson's coming up to the ball. So, I think it was really good uh, from Pears and, and a really important save. And I think you're right, Elliot. I think he's been fantastic since he's come back. I think he showed that air of solidity. Um, he's commanding. And I've gone from a position of really worrying about Leo Walshtedt to, again, not worrying about the goalkeeper now. As much as I will always love Thomas Kaminsky, people know that. Pears is, you know, is a decent level championship goalkeeper. So onwards and upwards for him. And it's been Just good to have him back in the side. want to see him maintain that performance level because we saw him maintain it at the back end of last season, which is why he kept his place over Thomas Kaminsky. And, and I thought rightly so at the time. 
but he definitely did have a dip after that. You know, he didn't have a great preseason. He didn't have a good start to the season either. So just want to see him maintain the performances and the standards that he's set in the last few games. Yeah. He's clearly capable. And when he's playing as well as he did at the end of last season and as he started since coming back from injury, he's a championship number one. Um, let's hope little mistakes don't start creeping in. He can keep that 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 quality performance level um, because he'll be an asset to Blackburn Rovers if he can. Shall we talk off the pitch now? Um, do we have to? <laughs> where do we want to start with this? Should we start with Duncan Maguire? Yeah, let's go for it. So, um, yeah, th- that was obviously a bit of a shambles. I feel like I should try and clarify the timeline a little bit because there's been a lot of reporting from various outlets, some of it accurate, some of it not accurate, some of it accurate at the time of reporting, some that has become slightly changed when more information's come to light. So Blackburn Rovers had agreed a fee with Orlando City as of Tuesday night, what, the 30th is would this be? 31st, the night of what's Tuesday? Let me go right. Tuesday night. So Tuesday the 30th, Blackburn Rovers had agreed um, a fee with Orlando City for Duncan Maguire. No, not Tuesday. Would it? No, it would be the 30th, sorry. Wednesday the Wednesday 31st. Wednesday 31st. Um, Blackburn Rovers agreed a fee of £2.3 million for the permanent sign of Duncan Maguire. Adam Wharton... There was an issue with some of the legalities that needed ironing out of his deal. That was not it was a it was a factor, but it was not why this deal fell down. The deal fell down because the Venkis pulled it. Well, the board of directors pulled it. It didn't get signed off from India, basically. They agreed a two point three million pound fee for Maguire. Rovers then found out that basically the board of directors said, You're not spending that money. There's no money to spend. So that deal got pulled. Blackburn Rovers did not make that call whilst Duncan Maguire was in the air. Greg Broughton spoke to Orlando City. He then spoke on a Zoom call with the player's agent and with Duncan Maguire. He was still in the United States or wherever it was. It Cancun he was coming from, wherever he was. He'd not got on a, got on a plane at this point is my, is my point. He wasn't in the air. That bit is not true. Um, Rovers had to pull the deal because the board of directors pulled pulled the deal, basically, which is what we reported on the Lancashire Telegraph. Um, so that got pulled. They then got on a plane to do a deal with Sheffield Wednesday, hence why he was in Kenwood Hall in Sheffield um, on the morning of deadline day because he was going to sign for Wednesday. Wednesday couldn't agree a deal with Orlando City. So the agent rings Blackburn Rovers back up and says, can we do the loan deal with an option to buy? Rovers say, yes, we can do that. And they agree a loan to buy deal, which would be permanent at £3.6 million. Obviously, it's going to be higher because Orlando need to cover themselves because if he goes and scores 15 goals in the championship, he would be worth way more than the 2.3. So it was £3.6 million was the permanent fee on the loan to buy deal, which eventually got announced. Um, this sort of happened afternoon time on deadline day. Maguire tr- gets in a car, goes to Brockle, does all his paperwork, interviews. He has he did do his media work as well with, with Rovers TV. Rovers have the deal done by 10 o'clock. The deal doesn't get submitted to the EFL. The documents get uploaded to sort of a draft file um, area and get saved and not sent. Rovers had the deal done before 10 o'clock. They announced it at 11 o'clock on deadline day. It was done. It is human error. I do not think for one second any conspiracy theory about Rovers purposely fudging the deal or, or, you know, not doing it because the deal had already been pulled. Like the the conspiracy theory, it already happened. The, The board of directors had pulled the deal already on the permanent. The loan to buy... There was no real financial implication because they didn't have to buy him for 3.6 million at the end of the deal. So it is human error. It's not good enough, ultimately. And it again puts Rover's reputation through the mud. The lack of clear comms about what has happened and the fact that I have only, I and other people have only got a really clear picture of what happened 10 days after the event is it, not good. It took them too long to put a statement out, in my opinion. 
um, after suggesting that there would be a communication within 48 hours after the QPR game. That didn't come until midday on Tuesday, albeit we put an update out on Monday evening. And it was never going to get approved by the EFL once it had failed. So I think they've done the right thing, not taking it to an independent arbitrator and dragging this process out further. I can't really see any way this deal happens because if you're Duncan Maguire, why would you? Like, I know he want he'll probably want to come to England, and it, you know I know the championship's a big, big opportunity for exposure and getting to the Premier League. But if he goes and scores a lot of goals in the MLS, there'll be other clubs interested. If you're Orlando, do you really want to be dealing with Blackburn Rovers again? And equally, Rovers have now changed head coach. I, albeit this was not a Yondal Thomason pick, this was a you know a club pick. This was a, someone identified by the recruitment team by Greg Broughton as someone that could come in regardless of who the head coach was. If there's money to spend in the summer, John Eustace is going to have a say in where that goes, whether the club still pursue it and try and pursue it. They, they obviously feel they have a duty of care to Duncan Maguire. I believe them that they'll try and do it. I, I, I would be surprised if this deal eventually goes through, to be honest. But we'll we'll have to see. Um, there's just so many variables up in the air, but I feel like it's good to put a, that is a clearer timeline of what, what actually happened. Well, firstly, thank you for clarifying that timeline because uh, in the middle of all of that, when it was happening on deadline day and, you know, the few days after, I was absolutely livid as a fan um, because when I was hearing things like we pulled the deal when he was in the air and things like that, that took me to a place of um, not being proud to be a Rovers fan um, that ultimately we could treat someone in that way, you know, so far from my own personal values and the values that I think Blackburn Rovers actually stands for, actually. So I'm pleased that you've clarified that and hopefully people listening to this listen to the facts that, that you've just put into the situation. But what it absolutely, absolutely does magnify, what you've said there, is where the attention and the fault on all of this should lie. And that, for me, is with Waggett. Um, ultimately, um, standards, conduct, the way that Ewood Park operates on a day-to-day basis, the way that all the off-the-pitch communication, the way that all this stuff runs off the pitch should be top-notch, should be top-level. And I think I can accept human error, but this is human error probably three times now. So who is driving the standards? Who is driving the cause and effect? Who is driving the fact that if this happens again, you're out of a job? You know, those types of things. So for it to happen again and for a third time um, is just absolutely uh, despicable and unforgivable. Um, And it makes me think that if they can't be asked to get it sorted off the pitch, why should we all be asked as fans putting our money in our pocket and travelling the length of the country in the way that we do? took me to a really dark place, actually, when it all happened. So I hope that Waggart and do something about this and start to drive the standards off the pitch because I see pockets of good stuff. I see Greg Broughton trying to do something with a recruitment strategy. Um, I see all of the club shop staff and people that you speak to on the phone in the ticket office. There are great people that work for Blackburn Rovers. The issue for me is the leadership at the very top. I, I see lots of great people that work for Blackburn Rovers, but ultimately Sahail and Steve, you know, they are the leaders at the top of uh, of Ewood Park, of, of Blackburn Rovers, and they have to drive the standards through the club. So it is not inconsequential to me that if they're not doing that and I don't see that visible leadership, I don't see that good communication coming out of the club, it's not inconsequential. And it's um, there is definite correlation with the fact that this has happened again. So I'm I'm livid with Sahail and, and with Steve Waggett around all of this, and I just hope that they can put something in place to ultimately sort the situation out long term, um, because that was an embarrassment. It was an indictment on the club, and I am absolutely in agreement with you. If I'm Duncan Maguire, I am avoiding Rovers at all costs. And actually, he's got the opportunity now to go and play up front with Muriel, who they've just signed for Orlando City. What a strike partner that's going to be, by the way. He's got the opportunity to go and do some good stuff there. He might have a few friendlies for USA um, through the close season and things as well. His stock will rise and I've got no doubt there'll be another championship club that comes in for him. Um, We've probably done the hard work actually for the championship. They might not have known who he was. They now do. So I think you're right. If you're Maguire, Rovers are at the very bottom of the list. So a sad day for Rovers, Elliot. Um, A sad day that we've got a young man over from America, albeit he was coming to sign for Sheffield Wednesday, but a young man over from America who thought he was going to sign for an ex-Premier League champion and a founder member of the Football League. And ultimately, that's not happened. And for us to announce the signing as well, just the whole situation was a real embarrassment and, and not one that I was proud of as a Rovers fan.
No, and I think that's totally fair. I think that this it's impossible for me to not feel like this will do damage to Blackburn Rovers' reputation. Not because necessarily the paperwork didn't go through, but because of the lack of clarity throughout the club about what is available to spend and what is not. They banked the Adam Wharton money. Clearly, the recruitment team were under the impression that they could spend some of that money. The Rovers were never going to go out and spend 15 million quid. I'm not saying that. It was clear that was not going to happen. They were not going to go on a trolley dash in the last 24 hours of the window. But they had got a deal lined up. There'd been a lot of diligence done on this deal, a lot of hard work. It was a complicated deal because it's overseas in the MLS. The contracts run slightly different. It is not an easy deal to do. So to agree that 2.3 permanent deal and then have it pulled because basically it didn't get signed off from India how can that happen? How is that? How is that a succinct operation? And how how can that be? That comes from them two at the top. It absolutely comes from them two at the, the top. It's the left hand not knowing the, what the right hand's doing, basically. And that has to come from Waggett and Sahail. They are the yeah, ones as the that bridges, bring everything. As the bridges between both sides, you know, Sahail more on the owner's side, although it's on Steve as well. But Steve looking after the club, Sahail as well dealing with the owners and, and that they are the bridge between the recruitment team and the owners really. So mm. for that lack of clarity, because, you know, it was clear that the deal was agreed. So for it to be pulled because of a lack of funds is a real, real concern that nobody knew that beforehand. How can that be the case? And I know things change and I know it's volatile at the minute, but I, these little, this is the worry for me. Yeah, and these little rumours that we're hearing about Greg Broughton, you know, I, I don't know what's ultimately going to happen with him in I the do. future. But <laughs> I, ha- well, I haven't written the story yet, um, but uh, let's give a little exclusive for our listeners. Um, this story I was going to write for the morning, but um, Greg Broughton's staying at Rovers, certainly in the short term. Um, I had a bit of a chat with him on Monday, uh, off the record, when John Eustace, uh, after John Eustace's unveiling. Um, he's staying and he's going to speak and do media on the record publicly during the March international break in a month's time because the club feel like, and Greg feels like they need to give John a bit of breathing space, a bit of time to focus on results. And then he will speak and he'll answer whatever questions we want. Um, and again, I just, when things stuff like this happens, no one has ever been gagged. In terms of asking questions, no one has ever been told what they can and can't ask. Greg completely came off his own back to speak to me um, and, and wanted to have a quick chat. We were only chatting for five minutes, um, but just asked him a couple of bits to clarify a bit of information. And he said he wants to he'll speak to us and answer whatever questions we want during the March international break in about a month's time. Um, so that because I've obviously had a lot of questions, people asking when's Steve going to speak, when's Greg going to speak, um, Greg's going to speak in a month's time. Basically, I, I don't know if Steve will do in between. Nothing has been suggested to me that he will, and he does very few public facing interviews. Seems to speak to the fans, fans a lot, but doesn't speak to the media a lot. So um, whether that happens, I don't know. Obviously, we've, we've asked to. Um, but yeah, Greg's going to talk in a month is what's going to happen. So clearly mm. we'll be, be here in a month because otherwise he won't be talking to us. So um, yeah, the, the, there has been some rumours and I, I do think there has definitely been some truth in some of the rumours that his future has been uncertain. That's not just gossip. Um, whether whether he's here long term, I guess we'll 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 have to see, and we'll have to speak to him when we speak on the record. But certainly in the short term, he's not going anywhere. You know, he he. Although I I am led to believe this was a Steve Waggett appointment. I'm not. Greg certainly has been on board, and you know, and I know for a fact that he spent hours with uh, John Eustace on the day he was unveiled on the Friday at Brockhall. He spent he had a two hour plus meeting with him about Blackburn Rovers, about the football operations. So he, he's very still part of that. He was at the game on Saturday. He was showing John Eustace around. He sat next to him in the director's box um, for the first half before Eustace then went down to the second half. So although he's not been visible, he is still very much in the thick of it at Blackburn Rovers. Um, Albeit, as I said, I don't think he picked him specifically. But I don't think he picked Jon specifically. I think he did have a big say in Jon. But it, 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 I think, given the situation, I do think Steve led the led the recruitment on John Eustace, but um, he's staying certainly for the short term. 
Well, that's a great exclusive and, and reassuring to hear because if I was Greg Broughton with just everything I was saying before you gave that exclusive, you know, if you're not getting that leadership from Sahail and, and from Steve and as a head of recruitment, you're being undermined in that way after spending all that time and all that due diligence, why the hell would you stay in that job? So I'm glad he's staying as well because I, I don't think it makes mm. sense to chuck the baby out with the bathwater. And obviously, you it has been appointed as a head coach, not the manager. So I don't really yeah. see the point in replacing Greg for someone else because I think he does... I think he does have a lot of good ideas. I think he's got implemented a lot of good things. The The contract renewals have been far better. I, I just hope he has enough autonomy and he's given enough authority to, to implement the visions that he's got. Absolutely. And when I said at the very start of this part about being greater than the sum of your parts, blending our wonderful academy with a recruitment department and a recruitment strategy for me are the two golden nuggets that allow us to be greater than the sum of our parts. So if you're undermining one of those big problems for me in terms of any ambition that we have to get out of this division and indeed stay in this division. So I'm really pleased that he's staying, albeit in the short term. Well, it might be the long term. I'm much. just saying I, I yeah. know for a fact he'll be yeah. here. That's me, make, that's me making that assumption there, Elliot, because I'm just putting words probably in Greg's mouth that he's ap absolutely apoplectic about the situation. So I'm sure he's as, as embarrassed as everyone else is about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to that in March and, and pleasing that he's staying, most certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what else do we want to talk about off the pitch? Um, the Benkies, I suppose, and still the situation where the club... I mean, clearly some of that Adam Water money is going to get used for covering the bills. I think it's fair to make that assumption because they pulled pulled the deal on Duncan Maguire, so that money is clearly going to be spoken for in some way. I find I wonder what, and this is pure speculation and pure just discussion on my part. I wonder how the Adam Wharton sale will impact the court hearing. Because obviously a precedent was set in November that Rovers were allowed to push through this money. Um, to fund the club, I wonder if the fact that the the uh, the technical you know the court will see well you've just banked twenty two million quid obviously not literally because transfer fees are paid in installments as we all know but you've you you guaranteed a, a block of eighteen to twenty two million depending on add ons etc. I wonder if that changes the thinking in terms of whether that money gets put through or maybe how much is allowed to put through. I don't know. I, I don't. I, I feel like we had a precedent set and I have every expectation or I had every expectation that had the court not been adjourned the hearing before in January, it would have just got put through and that would have funded them to the end of the season. I wonder if the, the water money coming in changes things a little bit, whether whether the court will go, well, you don't need that money as much because you've got that Adam Water money. Because because the whole argument of Venkis is you have to let us put this money through or the club will go bust. We can't meet our creditors. We've got obligations we have to pay contractually. You don't have any contract obligations to go and buy a player. So if we're looking at mm. like what you have to do, they have to pay the bills, and they go well. Like the court of Delhi don't give a flying hoot about Blackburn Rovers recruitment and wanting to progress up the table, do they? They're basically saying, without this money, will the club, which is an asset, depreciate or go under? Um, which it, it would obviously if you weren't paying your bills. If you're not signing players, that doesn't really come into it. So I, I wonder if that maybe is in the back of their minds. And equally, it's also interesting that these are two pots. It's not like two bank accounts. If Rovers borrow some of the, let's say you've got the Adam Morton money in one bank account and you've got your general funding of the club in the other, you can't, if you transfer money out of the Adam Wharton pot into the club fund, you can't put it back ultimately because the, mm. the when the money comes in through the high court, that money is spoken for for bills. So if you borrow some of the Adam Wharton money to make the shortfall, you can't then put it back with the money that comes from India because that's not allowed because that money has to be used for bills, mm. if that makes any sort of sense. I've tried to use the bank account analogy in terms of like... It makes sense. It. Yeah. So it, I don't know. I, again, I'm just I'm just sort of speculating and, and just chatting. It's just, <laughs> it's just so unprecedented, this situation, and unsustainable, as we've said so many times. It makes sense, and you've put the fear of God in me that that situation plays out because that would be a terrible situation. That well, at least they've got the Adam Wharton do. money. At least they have the money. But, yeah, but I don't want the Adam Wharton money to keep the lights on. I want the Adam Wharton money to go and sign the likes of uh, Duncan Maguire and, and players like that. That the I agree. I agree. 
So that would be a terrible situation if that played out because that will then lead us towards another summer, another transfer window of next to nothing in terms of spend and freeze and loans, which, as we say, that's not greater than the sum of our parts. That's flatlining in the division and doing our very best to stay in it. So I hope that that situation doesn't play out. Um, just on the Venki situation as a whole, Elliot, we've spoken about this before. I'm tired of this ownership now. I'm tired of all of this. Um quite what this March court case will do if it doesn't go in Venki's favour. Do they start to go through a process of thinking, right, this investment is now not good for us. You know, we don't want to own the club anymore. I don't know, but I, I am absolutely... I haven't heard anything to suggest that Venki's are going to try no. and sell Blackburn Rovers, whether that changes. Also, equally, I've not heard anything to suggest that they won't get this money put through. I'm just purely yeah. speculating whether the Wharton thing changes anything. Um, but I think the it was a fair discussion. That the money got sent through, so it, it probably will get sent through again. Yeah, and it was a fair discussion to have and to be competitive next season. You know, it's not just the Adam Wharton money we're talking here. We're going to have some David Rea money as mm-hmm. well. Probably a small bit of the Thomas Kaminsky instalment. Um, Especially you know, when I'd imagine there's some bonuses included in that. Yeah, exactly. And probably another sale that we might do in the summer as well. So for compared to recent times that we've had in terms of cash availability and things, you know, there is a little bit of money there available for Rovers. So I hope that this court case doesn't ultimately impact on that because we do need to freshen the squad up. You know, we're not going to persist with McFadzian long term. You know, he's 36, 37 years old. So we do need to be making some bona fide, good quality championship signings that are going to see this club I'll tell you one the person three, I think will really years. benefit from the change of head coach. I think Lewis Travis screams from oh. Roosters. <laughs> Do you know what? Um, I think you and I text each other, didn't we, about this? Just Lewis Travis, a penny for his thoughts. Sat Currently there because an unused think... substitute in the last couple of games for Ipswich as well. Mm. And I don't think it's unfair of me to say that um, the personal relationship between Lewis Travis and JDT had an absolute bearing on the Of course the it did. He wouldn't have left. No yeah. one lets the club captain leave on loan three days into a no. transfer window. falls rosy behind the scenes. So, Penny for Lewis Travis's thoughts that now this has all changed. So, hopefully, Travis is sat there chomping at the bit, wanting to get back. Buckley hopefully, too. if it's uh, yeah, Buckley too. I hope that John Eustace, if it's allowed in the rules of football, I don't know what's allowed these days. Certainly, when a player's on loan as well, I hope Eustace is just off record in contact with Lewis Travis well, to say you're my guy. Player, they can talk to him again. I haven't wrote, written the story yet, but I asked him about Lewis Travis, and he said that. He had every he's not spoken to him yet, but player that he might and had every intention of speaking to him at some point. So well, that's so reassuring. So hopefully, Eustace is in there straight away, saying you're my guy, you're going to come in, etc. Whether I want him to be captain when he comes back, Elliot, I think I've made my views known on that. I think Lewis Travis freed up from the shackles of being club captain. I think we get a better version of Lewis Travis, and Dom Hyam is the one who I'd have as captain. Mm. Just get Lewis Travis coming back, being that dynamo, that energy, that person in the middle of the park that we know and love, the guy that bleeds blue and white. I can't wait to have him back next season, certainly if Eustace wants him as well. He just seems like a very John Eustace player, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He does. Is there anything else you want to talk about while we're here? Anything to get Uh, off your chest? uh, Do we have to talk about how scared I am about Preston on Saturday? Oh, yeah, let's talk about... I forgot there was a match on Saturday. Um, I got lost (laughs) in the non-football chat. Preston on Saturday. uh, Lancashire (laughs) Derby. John Eustace's first game um, in chat. Oh, I'll tell you what I want to say. We're going to do press conferences on Thursdays again, and I am very excited about that. I hate Friday press. Friday press conferences were a nightmare, purely from a selfish logistical point of view that no one will care about. But we have a deadline for the paper of about six o'clock. Now, that on a normal night, obviously not when there's a match. Um, you get a late deadline when there's a match. But it's a very hard six o'clock deadline on a Friday in particular. It's a very strict deadline. If, you're, if, if it's not quite done, Although it usually is because, you know, I've got a daughter and a life, so I like to be done well in advance of that. But um, there's more flexibility on a midweek. And it also means like you, you do the presser on Thursday. You've got, you can spread the content out. You can, you can, it's just so much better. So John Eustace is a, a Thursday one o'clock man, which I'm very happy about, particularly in a, in a free week. Um, I, you know, I've got less of an issue of a Friday press conference when you've got a Tuesday or Wednesday night game. Well, particularly a Wednesday night game, but a Tuesday night game, press on Friday is not an issue. But if you've got a free week, why are we doing it at one o'clock on a Friday? It doesn't make any sense. Um, But even though we had Birmingham on Tuesday, this is how boring my life is. Blackburn Rovers has completely... Oh, I'll tell you, I'll tell another story. 
Um, whilst your, the whole Yon Eustace debacle was going on, I had a dream that uh, Steve Waggett kidnapped Yondal Thomason, <laughs> which quite clearly me? tells you I need a holiday and to get a life and to stop thinking about Blackburn Rovers uh, because it's now dripped into my subconscious. <laughs> um, so, oh God, yeah. Um, so, yeah, th- well, Thursday, one o'clock, John Eustace, I'm told, and that is a lovely, lovely result from this. There is what a, a serious. Preston? We were talking about Preston, weren't we? Sorry. <laughs> we were, but what I will just say, I'll just interject very slightly. There is a serious point to what you've said. That dream, um, you know, <laughs> I do need to thank you on behalf of the Rovers fans for putting in what you've done over the last few weeks because <laughs> it's not been easy for you. You've taken a bit of flack on Twitter as well. So uh, I know that most Rovers fans are, are very grateful for what you're doing, Elliot. And you dreaming in that way just shows how much you're putting into Rovers and how much you're trying to do to get the news out there. So just thank you for that. There is a serious point to all that. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a uh, it's been a mental health challenge in the last two weeks, but it's all part of the job. It's all part of the service, as they say. Um, Preston, obviously, nightmares mm. of last year. Ryan Hedges chipping the ball. We were having this discussion with some of the media. Imagine if Hedges goes through again and dinks it again and scores. That would be great, <laughs> wouldn't it? I mean, it wouldn't be quite as dramatic because that goal, that chip probably cost Rovers the top six and this time would just lift them to like 16th. So not not quite the the uh, the narrative everyone wants. But yeah, Preston are in decent form. Um, they're on the cusp of the playoffs after a couple of good results. Beat Ipswich, beat Cardiff City in midweek. Not in midweek, sorry, at the weekend. Um, they've not played this midweek yet. They play tonight against a football team. I'm not sure who they're playing, actually. Let's have a look. It doesn't matter. Home they're irrelevant. They're playing at home to Middlesbrough, which won't be an easy game. So Rovers will get 24 hours on them, which is nice. Um, albeit Rovers have had to travel and, and Preston are at home. It, it, weirdly, not, not on Sky, not moved by Lancashire Police. You know, When was the last time Rovers played at 3pm against Preston? Mm. Certainly haven't done in my time covering the club in the four or five visits, five games that they've played since I've been covering Rovers four times. Maybe the either the 3-2 or the 4-1. I can't remember which one. I think there was one, one where one just, I think Frankie McAvoy got sacked the next day. Um, yeah. So I think that one was the last. I don't know when that was. Can't have been that long ago. 2018, maybe? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah so that is game played at Deepdale. It's obviously a three, three o'clock kickoff. Rovers looking for a response. Six away defeats in a row in the championship, which is obviously very bad. They'll want some bragging rights, having been beaten in the last minute at Ewood earlier in the season. But Preston are going well. They're a couple of points off the playoffs, um, depending on how tonight's yeah. results go. They beat um, Ipswich and Cardiff in their last two. So probably not a great time to play them. Um, in terms of Rovers, does Ryan Hedges play three games in a week after so long? He can't, out? surely. Scott Walton and John Buckley will be back and available. They trained with the team on Monday for the first time after being out with, with illness the week before. So I certainly think Scott Walton at left centre-back, whether that's for Criseni or whether that's for Hedges and Criseni goes to left wing-back, I think I would be bringing Scott Walton in on the left side of that back three for me. Um, I think McFadzine will be okay. I don't know if you risk hedges or not. Um, midfield, Joe Rankin Costello obviously went off injured. Um, I tell you what, I'm surprised, I'm surprised we've not seen anything of John Fleck yet. Mm. He's not even had a minute. Whether there's a whether that's a pure fitness thing. Um, yeah, but how's he going to get? Like, he's not going to get. Like he's been training. He's like he's fit. He's not mm. injured. And he's been training with Sheffield United. He's been training with Rovers. No problem. So he's not going to get matched. Mm. He plays games. I mean, no one's replacing Adam Wharton like for like because no. the guy is just a God-forgiven talent. But John Flex seems like the one. If someone's going to come in and retain the ball, keep the ball and play in the way that Adam Wharton does, Flex seems like the one that I would come Garrett's in and do that. I think been okay, but I don't think he's done a great deal. I, like, okay, hey, I'd play for an hour last night. I didn't think, I didn't think he affected the game mm. negatively or positively, really. Didn't really do a great deal when he came on for JRC on the hour mark at the weekend either. So I, I think I'd be tempted to give Fleck a go. Probably, maybe it's probably well to chuck him in for a start when he's only played 90 minutes all season. Probably might be too much. Mm. Uh, there'll be a change in midfield, maybe a change for Hedges if he's not quite ready to go again. But I suppose it's a Tuesday night, so he might be. But otherwise, I'd probably go same again. Smodic, Dolan, Gallagher at the top end of the pitch. 
Yeah, you've got to go with those three most certainly. Um, I'm in agreement around Ryan Hedges as well. Um, he can't be coming back from a five-month injury and then doing three games in a week, so it wouldn't surprise me if we saw him on the bench. I agree with Scott Wharton. I think when you're going away to Preston, I think Hyam, McFadsey and, and Wharton, you know, three solid championship centre-backs gives me a lot more confidence if it's Kriseni again as a left centre-back. I just think that's an area that Preston might want to exploit. Mm. Um, so wouldn't surprise me if it's Kriseni as, as a left wing back. Yeah, JRC, that looked like, well, he's jarred his knee. I think that's the, the verdict, isn't right. it? So he's not going to play. He's not going to play. Hopefully that's not a longer term one. I, I'd be um, surprised yeah, if it I think, was. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, John Fleck would be a great one to bring in because instantly, you know, all those players we're talking about there, you know, you've got Gallagher, you've got Hyam, you've got McFadden, you've got Wharton, you've got Fleck. You've got five players there. That, hedges. That's a good Maybe. Hedges as well. Uh, well, he's going to be on the bench. Smodich, sorry. You know, that's six players experienced at championship level who should go to Deepdale and be counted, so to speak. So, um, yeah, those changes you've suggested there are good. In terms of my verdict on the game, it's always one of them that Preston look forward to more than us. I think whenever we play them, they're always cocksure of themselves. They're always fancying a result. And, and it's going to be no the different. They've rights, haven't they? The 4-1 at Ewood, mm. you know, although it was only yep. a draw, very much puncturing Rovers' playoff hopes last season and then beating them 2-1 at Ewood early this season. So they, they've had the, the bragging rights. Um, it was my first game, actually, covering Blackburn for Lanks Live. The 4-1 win at... Deepdale at the back end of the Mowbray season. Um, so I have seen them win mm. there, but that's the only t- only of the four games that I've covered between yeah. the two that they have won. Yeah, and I just think, yeah, they ultimately look forward to them more and we're a bit more anxious about them. And if they see the version of Rovers that we saw last night at home to Birmingham, I think they're licking their lips a little bit that if we're going to go and be um, fairly passive in that sense, um, Preston will fancy themselves with that home crowd and with the way that they play to come and impose themselves on Rovers. Um, so, yeah, it's a game I'm always a bit anxious about. And I've gone on record before to say Preston just annoy me. They try and make the rivalry like a Burnley rivalry, but it's not. I've said it before, I'll say it again. We hate Burnley, they hate us. That's the way we like it. Preston, just go and play with other teams, please. I thought you were breaking you know. the song then. That's the way we well, like it. We like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so it's after last night's result, not a game I'm looking forward to, Elliot. But hopefully one way we can sneak a draw. That's what I'm thinking, one all. Prediction one all then? Yeah, I'm going one all. I think we can, I fancy us to sneak a draw. And I think just with the players we were reflecting on there and the characters that we've got in the squad now and the way that Eustace likes to play, I can see us going there and, and just really putting in that type of stodgy performance that gets you a result in a derby game. Yeah, Rovers' Preston game has been quite low margin, quite tight generally speaking unless you know apart from the 4-1 um at Ewood where Preston absolutely battered Rovers so uh, the, the games tend to be quite tense I don't see Eustace obviously he's going to be quite pragmatic I don't see the style deviating too much albeit they'll want to be better on the ball I could see nil nil I could see one all so I'm, I'm in agreement with you there um, and I think that's a good place to leave it so thank you for listening make sure you subscribe to the Arte Labore podcast in your app of choice and follow the Lancashire Telegraph on X at Blackburn Rovers. And check out the site for the most comprehensive coverage of Blackburn Rovers this season. You can get a subscription to the Lancashire Telegraph to support local journalism. You'll get a better reading experience with fewer ads and subscriber-only content and plenty more perks. Go to the thelancashiretelegraph.co.uk forward slash subscribe to check out the latest offer. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Arte Labore. <laughs>